0: Hello dear listener, this is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. This is episode 240. I of course am Trevor, aka the Iron Fist. Normally with me is a panel, quite often the Twelfth Man Paul, quite often the Velvet Glove, quite often a bunch of other characters, but on this occasion it's just me, because as I forewarned last week, I'm in Sydney on business and so... Uh, we weren 't able to gather everybody around the um, the panel in my house in Brisbane, so what I did was I organized some interviews and i 'm going to play those for you now and My original intention was that I had even recorded the video and I was going to sort of do a live stream and all get all that happening at the same time. but uh, the internet connection here isn 't so flash where I am in sydney so what i 'll do is just uh, play a couple of the interviews that i 've got recorded and make a little bit of commentary in between, and we also got a voicemail message from one of the patrons, so we've got enough to, to cobble together some sort of episode for you. So uh, regular listeners would know that we've previously spoken with Robin in Noosa, we had him on, he's uh, ex-South African, and we were speaking about Bill of Rights originally and uh, how the Bill of Rights worked well in South Africa, and he was very pro-Bill uh, of Rights. And then on a completely different topic, um, he also was involved with a, a Halloween parade of Satanists up there in Noosa. And since then, Robin's been involved with producing a press release to do with the Religious Discrimination Bill with the second draft. And Robin has done what I've been begging Satanists or somebody to do in this country for a long time. And basically he's taken up the role that's that's been used by the Satanic Temple in America, where basically in America, for example, they have things like um, prayers before council meetings. And the Satanic Temple said, well, if you're going to have prayers of a Christian nature, then you have to also allow prayers of a Satanic nature prior to these council meetings. And once they went through the court system and won the right for that, uh, lo and behold, a lot of these councils decided they didn't want any prayers at all. And that was their means of getting these uh, Christian privileges removed. Uh, The basic theory was to demand equal rights for Satanists, and all of a sudden the Christians decided that they'd rather have nobody exercising these rights than have Satanists exercising them. So Robin put together a bit of a... um, Press release about what the Satanists would get up to if the proposed religious discrimination bill is passed, and he had enormous success with that. So I recorded an interview with Robin a few days ago, and I'll play that now. Uh, yes, welcome, dear listener. I've got with me Robin from Noosa, who uh, has put out a press release on behalf of the, the, the Noosa Temple of Satan, and Robin received an amazing response to his press release. So. Welcome to the podcast for the third time, Robin. Thank you. Yeah. So, Robin, I've got um, your press release in front of me on the screen. So, if you like, I'll just read um, bits of it and then we can talk about what reaction you got to the press release. So, first of all, you put it out on behalf of the Noosa Temple of Satan. Before we go any further, who is the Noosa Temple of Satan? Is it just you or are there more more members than just you? What's the story with the Noosa Temple of Satan?
1: Well, it's me, I suppose, and a whole lot of supporters so excellent, yeah that's our will be our little secret I think
0: excellent so um, so this is dated the eighteenth of January, two thousand and twenty, and it was your submission on the religious discrimination bill, the second exposure draft and um, uh, what you've said here is uh, so this is basically your submission to the government saying that Satanism has a message so powerful that we do not need laws to protect it. Simply put, noosa-satanists feel the proposed religious discrimination bill is completely unnecessary and a waste of this federal government's time. Having said that, should this parliament vote to enact this legislation, then satanists across Australia will aggressively use this law to ensure that we can access all the privileges it guarantees. From access to street evangelism school breakfast programs school chaplaincy programs school personal development programs school touring bands programs school weekend camp programs federal state and local grant programs access to public facilities etc the list is endless we shall use our local federal member commissioners and courts to defend our newfound rights under this proposed legislation satan has great plans for the future of nusa and australia And we intend to use every avenue available to us to reach our goals. Hail Satan, signed Brother Samuel Demogorgon, Nusa Temple of Satan. Congratulations. That's a beautiful piece of work, Robin.
1: Thank you. I've had a lot of response and people have loved the submission. Mm. And uh, lots of people have commented saying it's the funniest thing they've ever read and lots of belly laughs. And... Uh, um, and then there's, of course, the serious side of it too, which can be seen in the response it is, it's it's uh, had from Christian groups. In,
0: indeed. So, what, what tell us some of the figures and numbers of, of of how this has has gone sort of viral? This this piece. What, what what avenues have you ended up on, and what are the numbers?
1: Well, social media. Our new so um, Temple of Satan site had half, nearly half a million. Uh, uh, reach on that particular post. Um, and it was helped along by a lot of uh, social media websites. So the Young Greens perhaps were the, the most shared um, site. And then that then, uh, the LGBTI rights group that Pauline Pantsdown runs that also had a huge amount of hits. And The Chaser picked it up as well. So social media just went crazy. <clears throat> and people commented that, that they'd received... Um, posts from several sources, so it certainly did the rounds, and it also went viral on Twitter as well. Um, lots of journalists and editors sharing it as well, so it had a lot of uh, uh, <clears throat> it had a lot of uh, serious uh, comments mm-hmm. and people serious people sharing it. So it certainly took off there as well, and that and then of course the the normal media picked it up, the TV and the radio and the newsprint. So there were several um, TV interviews that I did as well as several radio interviews. And um, even the Australian saw fit to cover it. Alice Workman did a whole piece Mm -hmm. on it. So I reckon uh, several million Australians got to see the submission. So uh, out of all the submissions to the uh, religious discrimination bill, I reckon this was the most, Viewed publicly of all of them.
0: I think you're probably right. Congratulations on that. So, you know, the the main uh, um, part about it, of course, Robin, is to draw attention that um, Christians think that the proposed bill is going to be great because it's going to give them more power and they don't necessarily, or they haven't necessarily stopped to recognise that maybe other groups who they don't like are going to be given the same power. So, do you, have you seen anything where any religious groups or people have said, "Oh gosh, that's right. Now they're going to have, they're going to get that access as well. Either we don't want the law now, or we need to change the law to explicitly exclude Satanists and other undesirables." Have, have you have you
1: achieved that at all? Do you think? I, I think that we have people. Uh, Christians are certainly not discussing this publicly because. Um, the only public comments we've seen from Christians are condemning us and um, threatening violence, in fact, and warfare and all kinds of grim um, retaliation on Satanists in Australia. Um, and perhaps the most noteworthy is our Saint Connie, Senator um, Connie, who, who started a petition to, um, to have the bill passed. And she has posted pictures of herself with piles of paper in her hands, walking into Parliament, all the people who've signed her petitions. And she made a very impressive speech right at the beginning a few months ago where she she expounded the virtues of this um, bill. And yesterday she came out saying that she doesn't think the bill's a good idea anymore and she wants to retract her support for it. So... I think we're starting to change people's minds and they're starting to realise that the implications of these bills is, this bill is far-reaching, much more serious than they ever anticipated. And thanks to thanks to all the efforts, all they're doing is spreading Satanism across Australia. I think a lot of people had not heard of Satanism before this letter. And um, suddenly, uh, millions of Australians are now aware of of Satanism and what it can achieve. So I'm very happy with the results.
0: Yep, that was Senator Fevrianti-Wells or something like that, I think her name is. I might have slightly mispronounced it. So, yeah, she's sort of saying now that she doesn't – a flawed bill is worse than no bill. So she's sort of saying no bill at this stage. But it wasn't 100% clear to me if it was because of the Satanist possibilities (laughs) that she's changed her tune or just because they just haven't given enough power. I'm not sure, but – well, that's good, Robin. You, you mentioned some threats. You've you've received some nasty threats of some sort. Oh yeah, but well,
1: well, well uh, what what I've done is with one of them is reported the person to their mother. Um, so <laughs> he's twenty four years old, lives in Noosa. I've never had a personal threat directed at me before, so this is the first time. Um, so um, we know we're keeping an eye on this and we're certainly going to give that information to the the people who need to look at it. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I
0: actually wrote a, um, a, not a similar press release, but the same sort of tone of a press release, which I gave to uh, Satanic Australia or a group like that, I can't remember. And um, the problem was that nobody in the sort of hierarchy, was brave enough to put their name to it and to then be um, uh, willing to, you know, face the cameras and do the interviews that you've done. So I didn't think of you at the time, but I should have, and I should have handed it to you. I did this like six months ago. So so full marks to you, Robin, for being brave enough to actually um, do this. And I guess to some extent, and I know that a number of the people in the Satanist group sort of young people and they've got their careers ahead of them and they've got – there's more risk for them. I mean, you're a bit like me, at, that you're sort of at the tail end of your career and um, you can be a bit more cavalier and, uh, in what you're doing because of just your stage of life. So as an activist, is that sort of part of what – I know we've talked about this in the past where you've got a career as a sort of a, – as a, as a draftsman sort of designer and um, – this sort of activism has had a little bit of an effect on you, and you've sort of taken the view, "Well, I just need to do it anyway." Is that still the case?
1: Yes, I, um, I think for me the issue is uh, my, my career takes second place to important issues like this. So um, my, my heart is really in, in my activist work, and, and uh, that's where that's where I think um, that's where I think my loyalties lie. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, good on you. And um, so, did you get any contact from other satanist groups? Did they? Did they? Was it all positive? That you sort of response from them? Did they all say to you, "Well done, keep up the good work"?
1: Um, there there are a lot of satanist groups across the world and Australia, and I suppose what disappoints me is that uh, although some of them did um, put in submissions. None of them took this wonderful opportunity to to um, sort of uh, bait society, Christian society, and uh, religious society with a with a letter, and so uh, I was surprised. I was the only one that did that. Mm. Uh, so I have a suspicion. There's a bit of um, it could be a little bit of satanic envy there. That. Uh, <clears throat> that their letters or whatever their submissions were didn't didn't um, didn't uh, fare so well in terms of the, the viral the viral spread that this particular letter had. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm 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 still waiting for for some. But although, although the Pastafarians they seem very happy about the letter as well. So um, good on the Pastafarians.
0: Right, because what you're following is really a, a formula. Um, set out by the Satanic Temple in the United States, where they've basically um, set this template of saying, well, if you're going to have, in their case, uh, the classic example was um, prayers before council meetings, then they could insist on the right for a satanic invocation um, before a council meeting. And the result was that more often than not, these councils decided, well, we won't have any prayer if it means we've got to have an invocation and that was a means of, of stopping that. So they sort of set the template of saying, if you're going to grant these rights to traditional religious groups, then it's going to be given to all religious groups. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's a sort of a – you're obviously aware of their work and you had that in mind when you were doing it?
1: Absolutely. I, I went to J.B. Hi-Fi and I bought the Hail Satan CD. yes. Uh, so if you go to JB Halfarts, it's, it's six ninety nine, not six sixty six. <laughs> and uh, the crazy thing is, I haven't been able to watch it because I don't have a DVD player that works. So, right. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, <laughs> but it, basically, that that um, DVD highlights the work done by the Satanic Temple in the United States. Yes. And. Um, Margaret's done a wonderful review of it, so look it up on, Facebook, on YouTube and you'll, you'll see her review of it. It's, it's really entertaining. Yeah,
0: yeah, well done. All right, Robin, well, that was the main thing I wanted to get across was um, congratulations to you as an activist here in South, Queensland and for what you've achieved. And look, I reckon that this government doesn't give two hoots about what uh, the public Wants in terms of this religious discrimination bill and they've got an ideology and an agenda and um, they'll just pay lip service to this sort of consultation. But what you've done by potentially making them think twice and um, scaring them into recognising some of the, the unthought-of possibilities might actually work. So not only is it funny and humorous, but I think it's... I think it would almost certainly be the most productive piece of, uh, of a submission that's actually might make them change their minds. So well done on that.
1: Well, thank you very much, I take it as a serious compliment. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Good on you, Robin. Okay, we'll talk again in future as things happen. Um, you're becoming a regular on the podcast, and I think we've had anybody on three or four times like you have. So, so well done, and thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you, and hail Satan. <laughs>
0: One of the side benefits of doing this podcast is that it gives you the excuse to reach out and speak to some interesting people, and Robin is one of those people who it's been a pleasure to uh, get to know over the course of the podcast, so thanks, Robin, for your contribution. Now, dear listener, in that interview, Robin mentioned that he has received some threats from certain people about his actions, and I understand that he tried to make contact with uh, the MP. Uh, Lou O'Brien and Lou O'Brien is that character who's been in the news lately because he wasn't uh, happy with his role in the National Party and and through sort of very strange dealings done in the House of Representatives he became the Deputy Speaker and that was contrary to what the government itself wanted. So he's been in the news for other reasons but it seems to me that Robin uh, contacted uh, lou o'brien seeking uh, uh well response to the threats that have been made against the satanic temple and lou o'brien basically responded that satanism wasn't a uh, a legitimate religion so uh, he said that the, the temple was not a true religion and so robin uh, generated yet another press release and uh I don't know how he's gone with this one in terms of uh, how well it's um, uh, being reported, but basically he, uh, he wrote to Lou O'Brien and as a press release released that letter and he said um, that uh, he, wished to, he wished to advise that the Noosa Temple of Satan has received several threatening letters from local Noosa radical religious fanatics as well as from outside of Noosa, and he attaches the correspondence. He says, We demand that you show leadership and stand side by side with local Catholics, Anglicans, and Pentecostal Christians in condemning these attacks on our peaceful satanic religion. We ask you to remind Australians for their, quote, tolerance and respect, end quote. As our federal MP, we expect you and your government to protect us from these radical religious fanatics and require immediate action from you to reassure us of our safety. Thanks to Scott Morrison's religious discrimination, Bill, Satan's power is growing across Australia and we are becoming more and more visible throughout the country. This matter is not going to go away. You need to act urgently as our public presence grows larger every day. So that's applied a little bit of heat to, uh, to him and we'll see what happens from that one. But just on the topic of whether the, uh, a Satanist group can be considered a religious organization? And the answer is undoubtedly yes. So the High Court decided in the case of uh, Scientology that basically you needed uh, belief in the supernatural, uh, you needed um, some sort of rituals, um, and they were the main elements of it. Now, a lot of Satanists don't actually believe in Satan as a deity, uh, particularly in the leadership roles within Satanist organisations. But that doesn't matter because there are undoubtedly individuals out there who do consider Satan to be a supernatural entity. And it doesn't matter if the hierarchy or leadership of the Satanist groups doesn't have that belief. And that was clearly stated in the Scientology case because the High Court said, look, we understand that in Scientology the leadership has created these rituals and created this story that they don't actually believe. But there are enough actual members who do believe it that it is sufficient for us to recognise Scientology as a religion. So... um, even somebody like Robin or any other satanic leader could say that personally they don't believe in Satan as a deity, a supernatural being, but that they represent Satanists, some of whom do believe in Satan as a, as a real supernatural being, some of whom don't. And really, that's the same with Christianity, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of so-called Christians who really don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, but still consider themselves Christian Uh so um, so there would not be a problem with the Satanists actually um, uh, getting full rights under the Religious Discrimination Bill uh, as a religious group. Uh, that's certainly going to be the case. So uh, no doubt about that. And that's why it's wonderful what Robin's doing in applying pressure and making these Christian groups realise that they're opening up a Pandora's box because any privileges or power that are given to Christian groups must be similarly given to satanic groups. Uh, Now previously we've received voicemail messages um, especially from Landon Hardbottom and from Father Anonymous and I encourage you dear listener go onto the website you'll see a link to SpeakPipe and you can go in there and leave a voicemail message for us and of course, lots of people send us emails and notes, but given this is an audio-based program, it's especially good when somebody leaves us a piece of audio, and that's what's happened recently. One of our new Patreons, or new patrons through Patreon has left a message, so I'll play a little bit of what he had to say.
2: Hi guys, I'm your newest Patreon supporter, Lloyd Berg, the 12th man fan. I should start with an apology. I'll admit to listening to 27 episodes before beginning my patronage, so according to Trevor, I've been pirating episodes for much longer than I should have. I also wanted to congratulate you all on the two most recent episodes, which I thought were excellent. I really enjoy moral quandaries that get to the heart of our intuitions because the unexamined life is not worth living. Episode 239 had a great exchange between the Iron Fist and the 12th Man, even though I don't wholeheartedly agree with either side. Listening to the conversations was analogous to watching Michelangelo chiseling out the statue of David. The twelfth man was steadfast with his ideals as strong as stone, the iron fist peppering socratically like the hammer and chisel. The conversation like the artist Michelangelo, revealing more as time goes on, so thank you for that. Finally, I wanted to quickly clear up a point from episode 238. Not only am I a 12th Man fan, but I am also a big Sam Harris fan, and I encourage you to listen to everything he has to say, because it's always well thought through and enlightening. He's not a pure consequentialist in the way Paul supposed, he's actually directly addressed the problem of the doctor doing unauthorised organ transplants to save his four patients. His take on it was that it would lead to a worse world. The reason was that none of us want to live in a world where a routine doctor's visit could result in your untimely death.
0: Thank you, Lloyd Berg, The Twelfth Man fan. Welcome aboard as a, as a patron through Patreon. Uh, the Twelfth Man is such a valuable character for our podcast because I know he uh, grinds the gears of certain listeners and there are other listeners who love him. And I just listen to a lot of podcasts where I find people agreeing with each other all the time. The guests, you know, bring in or the hosts bring in guests who have either written books or written articles or things, and and invariably they just get people who they will agree with or, because of politeness, sort of have to agree with or, or skirt over difficult issues. And the great value of Paul Toffman is that he is prepared to be the contrarian and to put up a contrary opinion, and it does force you to examine what your thinking is and justify it, Uh, and you realise, well, maybe your arguments aren't quite as good as you thought they were. So uh, Paul is just incredibly valuable, and I love having him on the podcast. So in response to um, that sort of Holocaust denier uh, issue, um, got a couple of messages as well. Uh, Tony Eels on Facebook said, I can't believe I've agreed with the 12th man on the Holocaust denier issue. And also, uh, we also got an email which was from... Uh, Paul, who said, Just listening to 12th man tying himself into indignant libertarian knots over his wacky ideas over thought policing. Thought is not being policed, speech is. If the principal or football coach had their own ideas of the truth of the Holocaust or the efficacy of soft drinks for performance, but kept those thoughts to themselves, then nothing would happen. The law only applies to their speech or actions, whether they express... uh, the law only applies to their speech or actions when they express those thoughts. Uh, great to hear you three having a good old Socratic dialogue there. So uh, <laughs> there's a range of uh, reactions to Paul, and we do love the, um, the ethical dilemmas that I can find up, and uh, regular listeners will know that we, for weeks and months, went over um, bakeries serving cakes to... Gay couples and whether that was appropriate in regional Queensland and it was a great uh, to and fro so that's one of my favorite parts of the podcast as well Lloyd Berg the 12th man fan made a reference to the fact that he'd listened to 25 uh, 27 episodes and he'd uh, allowed himself a few free ones there so that's a reference to uh, how this podcast works dear listener because it's free it's available to anybody to go in and uh, listen to. But what we do say is that if you've listened to 20 to 25 episodes and you've reached the point where you're really enjoying them, you can't wait for the next one and you're opening up the app and and listening to it and thinking that was great, then at that point, we ask for a a dollar a show as a contribution. You go onto Patreon, it's easy to do. If you don't like Patreon, you can do it as a PayPal thing. And basically, that helps cover some costs because there are subscription fees and hosting fees uh, associated with uh, podcasts also means that I can subscribe to a whole bunch of uh, wacky right-wing uh, newspapers that I'd prefer not to otherwise spend money on, and of late also spending money on books and things that will be referred to in the podcast. So it means I can guilt-free uh, buy some books that will be referred to at some point. So... Uh, That's the deal. Uh, If you've listened to 20 to 25 and you're in that position and you don't think it's worth a dollar a show, then go away for a while and come back in a year and see what you think. So uh, that's the deal. And Lloyd, Berg, by leaving a voicemail message like that, uh, you are excused for the two freebies that you picked up. So thanks, mate, for that. All right. Now, I mentioned earlier about one of the side benefits of doing the podcast is that you get to meet some interesting characters. And... The next character that you're going to meet and you've met before is cam riley and cam um started doing podcasts way back in the beginning like 15 years ago he started the podcast network and he was uh he says the first person to do a a recorded a sort of skype interview or show over a podcast um He's got four or five or six of the things running at the moment. He's written a book about the psychopath epidemic. He's now produced a documentary about the historical Jesus and the Gospels. And I had been listening to Pam, uh, to Cam's podcast, and I actually met him at a podcast event. Um, Gee, it's probably a couple of years ago now, and that gave me the excuse to reach out to him and get to know him, and that's been fantastic. So that's been one of the highlights, again, of doing this podcast, is to meet a guy like cam uh so cam and i we're having a little bit of a bromance to tell you the truth um so you know every so often i ask him out for coffee because i know that he's one of the few guys around who isn't actually working nine to five in an office Uh, like me he can scoot out pretty much at any time and, and grab a cup of coffee um, I'm a little bit worried, though, dear listener. It's, it's one of those sort of one-sided romances, like I'm always asking him and he's never asking me. So I'm, I'm starting to question the relationship. But uh, anyway, you know, I'll get over it, um, I'm sure. Anyway, um, here's an interview that I recorded with uh, Cam a couple of days ago as well. Yes, dear listener, as promised, I have Cam Riley with me. Cam's been on the podcast before. I don't know what he does in his spare time. He, he lists his occupation as podcaster, author, psychopath hunter, and now he's added to his list of accomplishments, uh, documentary filmmaker. Welcome aboard our fair podcast once again, Cam Riley.
3: Always a pleasure, Trevor, particularly when the 12th man's not here. <laughs>
0: well, Cam... Uh, there's lots of things we could talk about, um, but let's talk about the movie. So you've, you've produced a movie. It's called Marketing the Messiah. And, you know, for anybody who uh, listened to our episode number 236 called Bible Study for Atheists, I have the feeling that I'll probably enjoy your movie. What, what have you got to say about the movie?
3: Well, first of all, I have to just stress the fact that I was hugely insulted <laughs> that you didn't have me on that episode. Beyond... Like beyond insulted, I can't even begin to uh, describe how gutted I was. You didn't have me on, but I have to say, I thought your your guests did an excellent job. And the film basically covers the same sort of subject matter, uh, and 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 tackles the same sorts of questions. I guess the difference is, you know, like like your guests you had on uh, that episode. I've been fascinated with this. So, you know, I grew up as a Catholic in uh, Bundaberg and left when I was about eight. I became an atheist around about age of eight uh, when I heard the priest say we're all born into sin and I had a little baby sister at home. And I thought anyone and any philosophy that tells me that a little baby is somehow inherently evil, I don't want to be a part of. (laughs) So I walked out and never went back, Hmm. but have always been fascinated with it. And as you know, I'm a history nerd. I do a lot of history podcasts and, and, Christianity obviously has played an enormous role in uh, Western civilization in particular. So uh, I've been studying early Christianity for my entire adult life, reading a lot of the uh, scholarly literature, like some of the books that um, your uh, guests and you talked about. And so when I had the idea to make this film a few years ago, I thought rather than m- me, I'm not a biblical scholar, I'm not a New Testament scholar, I'm not, a, I'm not an anything really, I'm a podcaster, that's what you do. You know, they say if you can't do, you teach, and then if you can't teach, you podcast. podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's always been my motto. <laughs> so, uh, but rather than me tell the story uh, with zero credibility, I thought I'd get a bunch of... New Testament scholars uh, and ancient historians who have PhDs in this stuff to help me tell it. So that's what the film
0: is that, that is one of the key about. differences between my podcast and your movie because with my podcast, I thought about it the week before and I gathered some friends from Ashgrove and Barden. Meanwhile, you thought about it for years and you've got an impressive list of, of true experts there, Cameron. Um, some well-known people, Richard Carrier and others. Is it Richard Carrier? Yeah, a lot of the yeah. people
3: that – a lot of the people got name dropped on your episode, actually. Uh, David Fitzgerald, whose book you were reading from, David's in the film. Uh, Robert M. Price is in the film. Richard Carrier. Uh, Bart Ehrman, not. I. We did go to Bart Ehrman's hometown, and I'm doing a screening in Bart Ehrman's hometown in March in uh, North Carolina. I did invite Bart on, and he said, um, I'm too busy. He said, I'm too busy. By the way, I charge money for appearances and things. So I was like, oh, all right, well. Aren't you, aren't you fancy? Um, but a, a lot of uh, first-class biblical scholars, and I've deliberately designed it in a way where everybody except David Fitzgerald and myself who appears on screen, has a PhD in a related field, either New Testament studies or ancient history, religious studies. Um, secondly, there's about an even split with the scholars on screen as atheists and and uh, true believers. Mm-hmm. And I did that deliberately because I I didn't want to be accused of being biased one way or the other. So and, you know, what you what, of course, you find is when it comes to how the the question of how did the Bible get written and how did Christianity become as powerful as it was by the late uh, fourth century, uh, scholars agree whether they're believers or non-believers they all agree on the basic facts but what i've found over the last 30 years as i've been interested in this is most of my christian friends and family and i do have a lot uh, i find their, their their knowledge on this is extremely limited and of course my atheist friends just sort of poo poo it as "ooh, religion eh, don't want to get eh, religion I'm like well hold on a second like are you interested in julius caesar sure Are you interested in Alexander the Great? Sure. Well, they were both considered gods and had massive cults and religions built up around them that lasted for many, many centuries. (laughs) Why are you interested in those guys but not this guy who built or who, you know, is the basis of a religion that's uh, bigger than all of those today? So I've designed the film in a way that will hopefully be equally enjoyable to Christians and non-Christians.
0: Have you run it past any Christians? Have you got any reviews yet from True Believers and what was their response?
3: Yeah, all along the way, I tested it with friends that are Christians and got them to test it with their friends. And so we, we sort of had um, you know, test screenings of different parts of it as we went along just to get feedback on the tone of it, uh, the content, the tone. And it's been overwhelmingly positive from the Christians. Now, don't get me wrong. Some Christians are going to hate it. Mm -hmm. uh, But, you know, I think, I mean, A, you can't please everybody. I've learned that. As podcasters, we know that. There's always Mm going to be people that are going to hate you no matter what you do or say. Mm -hmm. So it's a mistake to try and please everybody. So the people that uh, aren't interested, the Christians that aren't interested in the history of early christianity will probably hate it it's not a faith-based film uh, I, I spoke to my brother-in-law uh, a couple of months ago who's here in brisbane who is a true believer and um i said hey you should show my film at uh, your christmas thing at your church yeah. and he said no i don't think so and i said why not it's it's a great film And he goes well you know, is it is it faith based? And I said, no, it's a it's a secular history documentary. But it's got a lot of biblical scholars, and you guys uh, don't don't really care if it's not faith based. Not really interested. So yeah. you're going to have those people. That's fine.
0: Yeah, it would but, encourage you know, quest- the- it would encourage questioning of of the story and thinking about the story more than what a guy like that would be comfortable with. He wants people to accept a certain story and not think too hard about it.
3: Probably. Probably, yeah. but you know, I think. It, this isn't designed to piss on the, on the faith. It's, it's, it's quite respectful. It's, it's got humor um, and we don't pull punches where we think something doesn't make sense. But it's not an attack on the faith. It's an honest account from, again, PhD qualified biblical scholars about how it probably happened. Uh, Again, reflecting very much the story that you and and your friends told on the show the other day, who wrote the Gospels, what do we know about them, um, the historicity of Jesus. uh, But particularly the thing that fascinates me is the tension in the relationship between Paul and the apostles as it comes out in Paul's epistles and is sort of... Whitewashed a little bit in the Gospels, but uh, you, you can call, and Acts of the Apostles. But if you read it carefully, you can see it's there under the surface, and also how the Gospels differ in how they're stressed. Uh, you know, most of them. I mean, they're all Pauline in nature. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything written by any of the original disciples who, if Jesus existed, actually knew him, according to most scholars that uh, I've spoken to. Yep. But even with the Gospels, you could sense, like, Matthew's a little bit more friendly to the Jews, Mark and Luke more targeted to Gentiles. So there's this, you know, those dichotomies are quite interesting to me. Yeah.
0: You've sent me a link to the movie, and I've only reached about the 35-minute mark, so don't tell me how it ends. No spoilers. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, um it, I can say, dear listener, and I'm, I'm going to probably wait until I see it on the big screen before I watch the remainder of it, I think it's what I'm going to do, but I can tell you it is funny and it is quirky and it is well edited, Cam, like we spoke about this when you showed me one of the earlier drafts and just some of the techniques and the editing is very, very good. So you get the feeling of a punchy sort of story that's moving along and... Just different things. Uh, It's not just talking heads to camera at all. There's all these animations that crop up. There's pictures that crop up. And in a quirky, funny, humorous way, like you might have mentioned, I think at one stage, Pontius Pilate, that he was a governor, and just on the screen, it flicks up for two seconds a picture of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that. It's just, you know, you're not going to burst out laughing, but it's just amusing, a lot of that sort of stuff. So um, it is well edited. It is very, very well done. And so, Cam, how does it work when somebody wants to produce a movie and get it out there? Um, you just can't give it to, uh, well, traditional distributors aren't going to take a movie like this. So how does how does one get to see this movie how would you like them to see it
3: yeah well that's good yeah right that um there's like a million movies get made every year and a very small percentage of them make it onto the big screen or make it onto netflix or or um whatever Mm. hbo um so what we've done is we've we've got a multi-pronged distribution strategy. There's an an organization right out of Sydney called FanForce, fan-force.com. And what they do is it's kind of almost like a crowd-supported cinema screening. They've got deals with cinemas all over the world. And if people want to see a film, one of the films that they have in their catalogue, FanForce's catalogue, you can go to their website, uh, bring up the film that you want to see, Put in the your city and the date that you want to see the film, the cinema you want to see it in, and they will do a deal with a cinema to try and get it screening that week. They will create a, a link for it, and then you can promote that, and the cinema will promote it, FanForce will promote it, you can promote it on your social media. And if you sell enough tickets, like this each cinema has like a, a minimum tipping point if they can sell 30 or 40 or 50 tickets then the the screening will go ahead and uh, you you can see it on the big screen anywhere in the world if you generate enough people to come and see it. So if you have a a church group, not many people listening to this will fit into that category, I know. Or if you have an atheist uh, sewing club, then uh, get a bunch of people together to go see it. If you have a podcast, you can say, hey, go and check this out. uh, Alternatively, uh, six months from now after we get through the cinema run, it'll be available for video on demand through a service, we're not exactly sure what yet. Uh, but if you go up to our website and uh, throw in your email details into our newsletter, we'll let you know uh, when it's available for streaming online if you aren't able to get to see it in the cinema over the next six months.
0: So I've got a, I'll have got have a link with the show notes and on our Facebook page and you've currently got about five potential screenings. So uh, Carlton, Victoria on the 10th of March, uh, New South Wales 17th, um, the Barracks in Brisbane on the 19th of March and the AMC Lennox Town Centre in Ohio on the 23rd of March and another one at North Carolina.
3: Columbus, Ohio. Right. Co- that, that one's in Columbus, Ohio because yeah. that's Richard Carrier's hometown. Ah, right. I mean, I'm okay. doing a Q&A, doing a Q and a with Richard after the screening.
0: Ah, okay. Are you going to actually be there or is that by remotely? Like,
3: No, I'm going and... The yep. other one is in Durham, North Carolina that you're about to get to. Yeah,
0: on the 25th of March, obviously, with
3: Ray. <laughs> well, Ray will be there. Right. But um, that's also the hometown of Robert M. Price, uh, Mark Goodacre, who's a New Testament scholar at Duke University who's in the film, yep. and Bart Ehrman is also uh, lives there. Um, I'm going to invite Bart to come along and piss on the whole thing. Um right. But he won't because – Bart agrees with 99% of what's in the film. I know that because right. I'm a big fan of Bart's and I've read all of his books and seen all of his stuff. So, Right. Um, yes, it's very Bart Ehrman friendly except he's not in it because
2: um, – It would have cost money.
0: Yeah, okay. So, um, so basically, dear listener, uh, hop onto the link and buy a ticket because essentially it needs you to buy a ticket and to get the minimum numbers for the screening to happen – And I guarantee you, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time and enjoyed it, you will definitely enjoy this movie. And so, Cam, obviously, you're going to go to the Brisbane screening. Are you going to the Sydney and Melbourne ones? Will people see you there? Yep. Right,
3: okay. I'll be at all the screenings. I'll be at those, all of those five screenings um, doing a Q&A afterwards. Mm-hmm. In Melbourne, I'll be doing it with Father Bob Maguire, who's a dear old friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I did a podcast with him like 15 years ago for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in Sydney, I'll be doing one hopefully with Raphael LaTasta, who's got a PhD in religious studies in Sydney. Um, he, he was a student of um, John Dixon, Oh, who yes. came up a lot on yes. your podcast. Yeah. Right. I invited, John Dixon was actually the first person I invited onto the film, and he turned me down because he and I have had spats on podcasts in the past. Uh, but Raphael is one of his former students who they're now enemies because Raphael's an atheist and a mythicist. Right. So uh, anyway, he'll be there hopefully. He said it's climbing night, but I'm hoping he'll get out of his climbing and come and do the QA. A and a with me. And yes, I'll be uh, doing it by myself uh, in uh, Brisbane.
0: Right. And is that like just in the foyer that you'll be doing a Q&A? How's that Q&A work? Is it just in the foyer of these oh, premises up, with, or on, on the, on the no, stage?
3: Up on stage after the film, yeah. I think um, there'll be like a 20-minute short Q&A and then we'll probably go for a drink or something somewhere afterwards where people can come and hang out and ask me all of their questions on early Christianity. And I'll be more than like, seriously, you know, what a history nerd I am. Honest honest to God, I was just uh, I just was at Woolies and I was standing at the deli counter at Woolies. And I heard a guy on the customer side talking to one of the staff and he's going, well, you know, Prohibition uh, started this day 100 years ago and it ended in 1933. And, of course, I piped up and said, well, it ended because FDR needed the tax revenue because of the Great Depression, and they were also putting poison in and they were killing people. And, and he goes, oh, really? No. So we started having this history nerd conversation um, yes. in the deli. So I'm a deep history nerd, and, I, I've, again, I've spent 30 years on and off uh, deep, deep studying early Christianity. I find it absolutely fascinating. As, as, the, as the poster says, how did this fringe Jewish personality cult – from the backwaters of the Roman Empire, end up not only surviving, but but basically taking over the Roman Empire, having all other philosophies and religions, including the thousand-year-old pagan philosophies and Stoicism and Epicureanism, practically wiped out. They, They had them banned under Theodosius I on pain of death. How did that happen? It's an insane incredible story. And, you know, it, it. obviously, whether or not Jesus existed, we can debate until the end of time. But this really happened. Christianity really did take over the Roman Empire,
2: mm.
3: both East and West Roman empires. And uh, it's, a, it's a fabulous and fascinating story when you get into the, the weeds of how it evolved. So, uh, yeah, I, anyone who's interested in the history of religion or just history in general, the history of Western civilization, I think you'll really enjoy it.
0: Yep. All right, everybody, uh, hop on to the show notes, look at the link, go in and buy a ticket. Uh, it's a local boy done good producing this uh, amongst all his other stuff. So, honestly, it needs to be supported. So, um, good on you, Cam. And at another time, once I receive, I read an early draft of the psychopath epidemic, so I'm waiting for the final draft and we'll do a full review of that. And,
3: um, yeah, so... Thanks
0: for for that. And hopefully, lots of people sign up and it's a big success for you. You absolutely deserve it.
3: Thanks, mate. And I guess it's my share for lunch next time. Okay, fair
0: enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go, dear listener. Uh, That's probably going to be the end of this podcast uh, episode. And it's been a little bit short. So I'm a bit worried about what Landon Hardbottom might have to say about this short episode. I'm not sure what's going to be happening next week either. It'll be another unusual one um, because I get back to Brisbane from Sydney, basically have less than 24 hours, jump in a plane and head down to Kangaroo Island. So I might be reporting from what I find in Kangaroo Island. Uh, One of the guys I'll be with down there was a corporate executive. I might be able to con him into recording a podcast and telling me what life is like as a high-flying CEO for an international company. Um, or it might be like a simple book review because I've recently picked up a book called Corporate Power in Australia, Do the 1% Rule by Lindy Edwards, and I'm really enjoying that. So uh, it won't be the normal panel discussion, but it will be something, um, I think, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and we'll have something for you next week. Bye.
2: Fist, glove, 12th man, hard bottom here. Your last episode was only one hour long, and not the one hour and 30 minutes I've become accustomed to. You owe me 33 cents, and if I don't get it, I'll be sending some rather large chaps around there to perform their own kind of knee surgery on you.
0: Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends